I don't remember much after it. I think my brain kind of blocked out a lot of it to keep me safe. My therapist is like, your brain, you know, it, it has its way of protecting you and it blocks out certain things. Hello, you are listening to NPE Stories. This is a podcast where NPEs can share their story. I am your host, Lily, and I found out I was an NPE through an ancestry DNA test that changed my life forever. NPE is a term that stands for not parent expected or non-paternal event. This means that one or more of our parents are not who we believe them to be. NPE Stories is a podcast where NPEs can share their story of what their original family was like, how they found out they were an NPE, and what their journey has been like since the day they found out. Welcome to episode 161. And at the beginning, I wanted to share a few minutes on a speech I went to at the Untangling Our Roots Summit a few weeks ago. I sat in on a really interesting uh, talk given by, well, it was moderated by Cassandra Adams, but it was given by Peter J. Bonney and Renee Gellin. And they were speaking on behalf of the adoption world and the assisted reproductive world. Basically, the takeaway was that these are transactions, which was a little hard to hear. Peter J. Bonney reminded us that the donor-conceived world is a for-profit business run by fertility clinics trying to make a profit. And he said, when there is the presence of of money and the absence of law, there can be real problems. And currently, and I I hope this changes in the upcoming years, currently there's very little regulation in the assisted reproductive world. And he has a whole book on it. He's been on the show previously. Um, I'll just remind you of the name of the book. It's called Uprooted, Family Trauma, Unknown Origins, and the secretive history of artificial insemination. I will link the book below as well. This book is full of data. Peter (laughs) spent a long time gathering data and is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to assisted reproductive technologies. He also said that a lot of IVF is currently being offshored to Mexico and Costa Rica, and I thought that was interesting. As for the adoption side, Renee Gellin runs an organization called Saving Our Sisters, and they are an organization that provides support for women that are pregnant that are considering adoption. And a lot of times these women are unsupported and have very little resources. She highly suggested people watch a YouTube video called Baby Brokers by Newsy. So that's called baby brokers. Renee herself relinquished a child for adoption, and she was promised an open adoption, but was not given that through a very fast-tracked adoption. um, It is now sealed. It is a closed adoption, and she doesn't have access to the child she relinquished. And so that is why she started Saving Our Sisters. She gave a lot of data on how much money is made in the adoptive world. For instance, a private adoption averages around $18,000, but we can talk about 30, 40, 
$50,000 for the adoption of a baby. And there's also attorney adoption and foster care adoption. But these are transactions. And so the takeaway from listening to her was that adoption is about money, not babies. And she highly recommended that when this next documentary comes out, people watch it. It's called All You Have Is Love. In fact, everyone was talking about it. They are currently filming it as we speak. And I believe it will be released in 2024. So that was just some really interesting notes I took on the speech, Big Business in Our Origins. And today we are going to listen to an NPE share their story. So I will switch over to the storytelling portion of the podcast and introduce my lovely guest. Today I am speaking with Brittany. Hi, Brittany. Hi. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. This is my first time sharing my story publicly. So I'm excited to finally embrace it and not feel the shame of it anymore. And it kind of just lined up to work out to share on this podcast. So I'm excited. but nervous. <laughs> Thank you for being willing to share your story that this means so much to so many people. It is incredibly nerve-wracking to share your story. I know I remember how nervous I felt when I shared mine. That's completely normal. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to give you a 90% chance that when this is over, it will be cathartic. It will feel like a weight has been lifted off your shoulders. That's how most people feel after they share. Although there's 10% of the time when people are like, why did I say this? Oh, shoot. I shouldn't have said that. And that's totally normal as well to feel a little bit of both. Right. Yes. I um, I have been going to therapy since I found out. And I do a lot of artwork. So I let it out through my artwork. Um, and I have a business called Healing Not Broken. So I share my healing journey. I just haven't really shared the full story of what I'm healing yet. So I'm, I'm ready to let it out. Ooh, what, what is this? Is this a, what is this called? Healing, not broken? broken. Yeah. Yeah. Cause when I was, um, when I found out, I fell into like a super deep depression and it was super scary for me because I don't want to say I lived a normal life, but I, I mean, I didn't really have any issues that I had remembered. And um, I wasn't necessarily struggling. I had never felt depression. So when I started having thoughts that were really scary, suicidal ideations coming through, I was terrified of my mind. And the people around me that I shared it with, they have no experience with depression. So I quickly felt isolated and so scared and my anxiety peaked and I went into my basement and I drew, I think every single day for at least a year. And I, I ended up, long story, I took that artwork and turned them into affirmation decks. Some people call them oracle decks. And I took that artwork and I paired them with quotes that I wish I would have heard when I was drawing 
that certain piece. And the decks kind of took off and the business I decided to call it was Healing Not Broken. There's lots of things that have come from that business since, but that's just like a small insight for the beginning intro of what I've been going through. I love it. I have a I have a group that immediately popped into my head. I will tell you afterwards who I think would love to get their hands on that affirma- on your affirmation decks. Oh, okay. I love that. I actually I'll just mention it now. It's it's high wraith hope and healing. They frequently when we're at their retreats give us um try to give us leave us with little well kind of like affirmations, I guess I would call it. So I can immediately they popped into my head when you shared about your your artwork. Oh, I would be honored. That would be awesome. So can I ask a little bit about your childhood and um, get an idea of who was in your your family of origin? So growing up, I had three sisters, one older than me and two younger. So classic middle, middle child syndrome. Um, <laughs> um, my mom and dad, my mom worked from home and my dad traveled Oh man, he still travels and he's on the road for three months at a time and then he'll come home. Um, I lived in a village of 250 people in Nebraska and um, I really didn't know that living in a village was such a bad thing (laughs) until I started to go to high school and I got bullied because apparently being from where I was meant that I was white trash. Um, in sports, I really didn't have, quote unquote, the right last name to play. Um, I had to work a lot harder, it seemed, than other people to get the playing time. Um, but once I did, I got to I got to play in the sports and everything, but seemed I had to work a little bit harder. Growing up in that village, in my younger years, I loved it. Like I didn't know anything different. And my next door neighbor at the time was probably 60 and she was my best friend. She, um, we went and gardened together and collected walnuts and all of the things. It was, it was, it was really cool to have her growing up. I would say being the middle child, I kind of had what I now know as the savior complex where I kind of, if my siblings were being a little bit sassy, I was always the one that was like, hey, be nice to mom. You know, like I felt like I needed to be the good child to make it easier on my mom, Um, which at the time I thought was perfectly fine. But as you go through therapy, you kind of learn a lot about (laughs) about your upbringing um, and the things that you learn about yourself in a different way. But I was kind of the people pleaser of the family. I always wanted to make sure that everybody else felt emotionally safe and not bullied. And I think kind of protect them from what I was going through at school, which at the time I didn't put two and two together um, until I kind of got into therapy. But we we weren't rich by any means. Uh, I don't want to say we struggled, but I 
once I got into high school, I kind of realized that other kids seem to get more things more often than I did, which being a people pleaser, I never wanted to ask for anything. I was just grateful for what I did have. And we were very much raised to be grateful. So like if you had an emotion, it was it was quickly turned to you should be grateful, you know, kids in Africa are starving or you should be grateful, you know, X, Y, Z. And um, I know that that's how they were raised. But I think that's kind of when I started to to shut off my emotions and kind of ignore what I was feeling. But overall, I honestly, growing up, I am grateful to have the parents that I that I have. And it was it was a good upbringing, I would say. As far as my family, I had outside factors happen in my life that brought a little bit more intensity into my life. But as a family unit, you know, I'm very grateful for for the family that I do have. What sort of job does your dad have where he travels for months at a time? Um, so when I was younger, he built cell phone towers and originally they had their own company, my dad and his brothers, and they would go around and build cell phone towers depending on where the towers are needed is where they would travel. After that business closed, he got another job with a company that does the same thing and he has progressed enough where he is the manager. I'm sure it's a much fancier title than that, but (laughs) he Mm -hmm. kind of runs the cruise now. So he doesn't have to climb the towers, but he still has to be in the place where they build the towers. And my mom and dad are currently in Ohio. My mom gets to travel with him now that all of me and my sisters have grown and are out of the house. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. Big project like that. That makes sense. So your parents are still together. They are. Yep. Yep. Did you ever have any inkling that you were an NPE? At the time, no. But as I look back and observe my childhood, especially from being in therapy, uh, which therapy has been wonderful for me in seeing my emotions and my story as they happened. uh, When I was growing up, I was a huge daddy's girl. I was a tomboy. I was the one that wanted to be so good at sports to make my dad proud of me. I wanted to be the one that was out helping him fix the car and watching sports with him. And I just really wanted to be a daddy's girl. And I think that I was. I always felt different. But I don't know that it was because I had an inkling about the NPE situation. I think I just felt unique in the way that I thought. I I kind of felt isolated in that way. And then as I got older, um, I wanted to go to graphic design school. And my parents said that I would not, that would not be a stable income. And this was, oh, I don't know, 12 years ago, maybe a little bit more. So I went into nursing school, as they said would be a stable job. So I went to nursing school. And then once I had to go to nursing school, I don't remember why, but I believe I needed my birth certificate. And my mom said, well, it's going to be a little bit. I lost it. I need to get a new one from the hospital. And I said, okay, that's weird. You didn't lose anybody else's. And I think that was kind of the first little seed that happened. And I was like, well, this is weird. 
I knew that I was born with my mom's maiden name. And she had told me that that was the case because my mom and dad weren't married yet. So that's originally what I was told. And um, once I got the birth certificate, I honestly didn't look much into it because I knew that I was born with the maiden name uh, and there was no father listed. And I, again, assumed it was because they weren't married. Uh, looking back on it, I kind of laugh at myself a little bit. Like, how did you not notice? <laughs> but that's that's the inklings as far as what I felt. Is that when you found out you were an NPE or that was just kind of something that stuck in your brain? Um, that's something that stuck in my brain after the fact. Um, so how I found out, I, at the time, this was, I think, 2018. And I had started selling shampoo through Monate, which is an MLM company. And when I was selling the shampoo, you reach out to people and see if they want to buy the product. And a lot of the people that I had reached out to were not necessarily friends with me on Facebook. So a lot of the messages went into a filtered inbox. And one day I pulled into my driveway after work and I was checking to see if anybody had responded to my messages about Monate, the shampoo company. And I don't know how or why. I just happened to see this filter folder that I had never seen before. And I had a message in there from 2003. And so it was 13 years from, I believe it was 13 years, but the message was, no, I was 13. That's what it was. I was 13 when they had sent this message and I did not see it until 2019 when I was 29. So that message had been sitting in my inbox for that long. Um, but I opened it and it was from a lady named Abby. And she said, I think that you're my sister. And she listed a bunch of information about my mom that nobody should know. And I just sat there and I just stared at it in my driveway. And I don't know, I just kind of like blanked out. And then I, a couple days later, I responded and I said, I think you're thinking of my older sister because growing up, we knew that my older sister had a different biological dad. We were raised, we all knew that um, she had a different dad. And I don't know why. I asked my mom why we knew that about her and not my dad. And she said, well, when we were raised, it was just something we knew. But after I found out about my situation, she said it was because she was old enough to remember. So I messaged this gal, Abby, back. And I had told her, I think that you're thinking of my older sister, Ashley. And she responded. She's like, based on the age, I really think it's you. And I just ignored it for a while. And I'm like, this is so weird. And a little side piece to this. Um, I, a few years before this message, I was at Wayne State here in Nebraska. And my oldest sister, Ashley, her biological dad, Message me on MySpace if you remember MySpace. <laughs> and yes, <laughs> I got this message from this stranger I didn't know. And he told me that he was in the delivery room with me and he cut my umbilical cord and he was my dad. And I read this message and I was like, What? So I messaged my sister and I was like, Ashley, is this true? And she's like, No, this isn't true. And then I, I finally asked my mom. 
And she's like, why would you think that your dad is your dad? Ashley's dad is a pathological liar. Like, I don't know why you would ask this, this, your dad is your dad. And I, I just shut down after I asked, you know, I was just like, well, this man on the internet told me that he was my dad. And so I shut down after that and I was like, okay. And I blocked him on my space and I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, okay, he's a pathological liar, et cetera. So then once this lady messaged me or I had opened it in Facebook, um, I let a couple months go by and then Christmas was getting closer and I was getting into the feelers about family time and coming together as a family. And I just had this thought in the back of my mind of this message. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Uh, so I messaged the lady that sent me the message again and she went on a social media hiatus and was not on social media, but she had mentioned she has a sister. So I found the sister on Facebook and I messaged her. And I was like, can you please tell me more about what your sister's talking about? Like, is there any truth to this? And she's like, yes, I think so. And she's like, I'm on Ancestry.com. If you want to take a test and find out, um, you can. I mean, don't feel like you have to. I think my sister just wanted to inform you when she was younger because she was mad that you were kept from us and all the things. So I eventually decided to take the test. Um, just because I was so tired of these things happening and I didn't understand, um, I took the test. And right after I took the test, my husband had broke his leg. We own a restaurant, a steakhouse together, and he's the head chef, manages everything. So when he broke his leg, he was unable to work at the restaurant. So at the time, our daughter was two. So when all this was going on, I was working doubles at the restaurant. I was shuffling my daughter back and forth between grandma's daycares, babysitters, and all the while every week checking my phone because I'm sure you're familiar or have heard the stories of with Ancestor. I don't know if it's still this way, but when I did it, it takes six weeks about. And each week they update you with the process of like, you know, we received it, we're processing it. I don't even remember all of the steps, but each time it would get closer and closer. And I remember pulling up to the restaurant and I opened up my phone and it was on step five out of six. So I was about to find out I had to go into work and I was crying in my car and I just I shut it off. I think I went numb and I went into work and I just kept trying to hold in these tears of this possibly big monumental thing that was about to happen. Um, and then week six came and there's a lot of people that match with you on Ancestry. So I had to scroll and I kept scrolling. And then I finally came across the name Brandy Carlson. And um, that's who I had. That's one of the sisters that had reached out to me. And I just stared at my phone and I, I was in my kitchen and I just fell to the floor and I dropped my phone and I just sat there for the longest time. I don't even. I don't know. It just couldn't process. And then I think I laid on the floor for at least three hours just crying. And I didn't know what to do because last time I reached out to my mom, I got shut down about it. And she was she was right about the fact that my oldest sister, Ashley, her dad was not my dad. I have a different dad than her and different dad than my two younger sisters. Um, so that's how I found out <laughs> a lot happened after that. That was the, the finding out story. 
<sighs> oh, I'm so sorry. It was, I don't know. Mm. It's, I don't know. You can't really be prepared for it. It's right. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. It was, it was heavy. And um, my husband had gone to state wrestling. Um, he had a boot on his leg at the time. Um, and this was kind of one of the first times that he was able to get out of the house. So I felt like I couldn't call him because I didn't want to ruin his time. Um, I didn't feel like I could call my mom because I got shut down the last time. And obviously I was so confused and it didn't feel real. Um, it still doesn't feel real if I'm being honest. Um, as I'm trying to radically accept all of it, um, it is a process. As I'm sure many who have been through this know. So once I found out... Um, that day felt like it was forever and I don't remember much after it. Um, I think my brain kind of blocked out a lot of it to keep me safe. Um, which I only learned in therapy. <laughs> I'm like, why do I not remember things? And my therapist is like, your brain, you know, it, it has its way of protecting you and it blocks out certain things. So once all that heaviness happened um, and I drew every day for a year to get my emotions out, I finally decided to go to therapy. Um, my first therapist, um, which everybody has their own therapist, um, but my first one, she was kind of like, um, yes, that's valid. Yes, that makes sense. Yes, that's valid. She just kept yesing me. And I'm like, I don't know if this is what therapy is supposed to be because I want to heal. And you just telling me yes is not making me feel like I'm healing. And I wanted to give up on therapy and I decided I would look for one other therapist. And I found my therapist, Jill. And um, she validated my emotions, but she also gave me coping tools, which helped me a lot. Um, so I've been in therapy Ever since I found out, I think it's been three, almost four years now that I've been in therapy. I don't know if ironically is the word, but um, when I go, when I went to therapy, I was like, I'm going to work on this dad stuff. I'm going to process all of this information. And it's been three or four years and I haven't even gotten to it yet. We just opened the book to that last week um, to plan to start talking about it. Um, so the last three to four years, um, this isn't necessarily NPE. It's more of like a background, um, chunk of my life. I had blacked out the memory of being sexually assaulted twice. Um, once when I was 15 and once when I was 19 and, um, that has taken a lot of healing as well and, um, still working on it. And then I got sexually assaulted two years ago. So I um, have been healing a lot of that in therapy. And I haven't really um, dove into the healing the dad stuff in therapy yet. Although it's been, you know, a few years. It's, it's been a journey. And Healing Not Broken has come about for, for good reason. Um, it's kind of been my way to tell my story um, without fully telling it, I suppose. 
and um, the art seems to resonate with people. Um, you know, art can speak to people without any words, and it's beautiful. And everybody processes it processes it in their own way, which is really cool. And then um, once I created these decks from going through my depression and a lot of the artwork came from finding out about my dad. And then my later artwork has been about my sexual assaults. Um, but that artwork, um, for my depression, um, I have made three affirmation decks, Oracle decks, and I just made them for myself. I went to, do you know who Rachel Hollis is? No, sounds familiar. She is, um, a personal development kind of guru kind of um, uplifts you and kind of pushes you towards your goal. And I had a friend at the time who saw me in my deep depression and she's like, why don't we go see Rachel Hollis? And she was in Florida and I was in a deep depression and I just didn't want to do anything. Um, but I decided to go. Um it took everything in me to get on the plane, but I went and during this conference when she's uplifting everybody and she goes, if you could do anything in the world, what would you do? And I was sitting in that chair with thousands of other women and uh, I was like, I have never thought about what I wanted to do for myself. The small moment where I did with being a graphic designer, um, that quickly got shifted to that won't work out. You need to be a nurse. And I was like, I cannot believe I have not dreamt for myself before. Like I felt so sad and, um, everybody was writing down their goals and I was like, oh my gosh, like I have never thought about what I want to do for myself. I went to nursing school and I was a nurse for a little bit. And then my husband opened up his restaurant and needed help with the restaurant. So then I was helping at the restaurant. And then I became a mom. And then I was a mom. And um, I'd never thought about what I wanted to do. And it was just one of those things that just pops into your head. Um, and it was create an Oracle deck, affirmation deck. Um, I had fallen in love with Gabby Bernstein's The Universe Has Your Back deck. And I went through it at least 100 times. Um, so then it was like one of those voices that pops into your head and you just kind of like look up above you, like, where did that come from? Like, that was totally random. So I wrote it down and I went for it and I got home. And um, after you get back from these conferences, you have a little bit of burst, but then it kind of, it fades away in my experience. And I had the book sitting on my counter and I just, I never got to it. I think three months had passed and I was like, I do not want to do this anymore. And I think a lot of it came from my disassociation and not being present. And I wanted to be a better mom. Um, I could see my depression was, was all consuming and taking over my body and affecting how I was being a mom. And I knew that the way that I was feeling was valid, but I knew that I needed to change something. Um, so I decided to make myself an affirmation deck and I made it for myself um, because sharing that is scary <laughs> with other people. Um, and then I shared it with a couple of people and they're like, oh my gosh, you should sell these on Etsy. And I was like, like kind of in disbelief, you know, and um, I ordered 10 decks and I'm like, if I sell 10 decks and these help 10 people, that would be awesome. I would be so excited. I sold the 10 decks and long story short, um, 
I have sold them all over the world and I have sold almost 2,000 copies on Etsy and then I have them in a couple shops throughout the United States and a couple people. Um, every time somebody buys one, I put a little pin on my um, world map in my office <laughs> as a reminder that I'm a human and I am doing something for myself. Um, and that's kind of where Healing Not Broken came from. My kids and Healing Not Broken business, I think, is what has helped me to keep going through all of this. Um, I, 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 I'm still misunderstood, I feel like, from my family. Like, they try to understand a little bit, but um, because the business stemmed from finding out that my dad was not my biological dad, um, they know that this business comes from that, and they want to support it, but also don't really ask questions about it. Mm -hmm. Um, and when I did find out, I didn't tell my parents that I knew for a very long time and I just sat in it and it was horrible. (laughs) It was so horrible going to family functions and going to Christmas and just watching them act like nothing happened or like how well they had lied, um, made me angry Um, but I've never processed anger. Um, I may, in my head, it's like, I know that I should be angry about this, but it doesn't feel safe to be angry. And that stems from all of the things that I went through growing up, um, as far as like my sexual assaults and being bullied and all of those things. Um, but I just sat with it. I didn't know how to process it. And I didn't want to tell them, I think partially because I didn't want to ruin the relationship that we had or I suppose the relationship that they thought that we had because I knew in my heart that it had changed on my end. Um, I just, I felt so lost and um, I was a daddy's girl, like I said, and the thought of not having him as my blood Um, although he's my dad will always be my dad and I'm so, so grateful for him. It just shattered me like my entire, like identity crisis to the max. I, I didn't understand much of anything because growing up, you know, they would be like, Oh, you got your eyes from your grandma, which would be, um, on his side. I mean, that's not a specific one, but for example, you know, my two younger sisters had blonde hair and I have blonde hair. You just kind of unintentionally build your identity based off of your family. So once I found out that that wasn't the case, I didn't know who I was anymore. I was, I was shattered. Like I, I just felt broken. And um, again, that's where my my business name, Healing Not Broken, comes into play because mm-hmm. broken is so heavy. That's not the case. But I didn't know that at the time. I love that. Were you always an artist? I loved to draw. Um, I loved to doodle in class, and I got in trouble quite often for doodling. Um, And I think uh, my ADD played a factor in that because I couldn't pay attention in school. Um, So I doodled a lot, and um, I didn't really embrace my artistic talent until this happened. 
um, I, I wanted to go to graphic design school, but I kind of shut it all down once I realized that it felt like there wasn't a point to explore it um, financially. I don't know. It kind of just came back to me, which thank God it did. Yeah. Have you ever reached out or do you have any relationship with your paternal, your biological paternal family? Um, so after I finally told my parents, um, I walked in, well, I had my mom come to the restaurant, um, in the middle it was like noon or something. And I was going to tell her that I knew and I kept practicing it, like trying to say it. And my paternal, um, dad's name is Rocky. And so I was like, I know about Rocky. I know about Rocky. I'm like, okay, I can say this. <laughs> and then she kept getting closer and I, I took three shots because <laughs> I'm at the restaurant. I took three shots, um, to give me bravery and that didn't work. So I wrote it on a piece of paper and she sat at the table across from me and I slid this piece of paper across the table and she opened it and read the words, I know about Rocky. And her shoulders just dropped like a weight had been lifted off of her shoulders. Um, And then I went into instant people pleasing and I wanted to make sure that she was okay. And um, never really talked about how I was feeling. She just told her side of the story and, um, that when I was born, he, it was an oopsie and he had another family at the time. So I think it may have been an affair. Um, I don't know for sure, to be honest, but, um, once he didn't want anything to do with me, my mom went back to my older sister's dad who was, um, emotionally abusive and, um, Once I was born, she brought me to him, my paternal dad, and um, he saw me and still said he didn't want anything to do with it. So eventually my mom found my dad and my dad ended up adopting me when I was 14 again, which should have been a sign. I just knew I had to go into the courtroom for something to change my name from my mom's maiden name to my dad's name. And I had not even thought anything else different. Um, but once I told my mom, she wanted me to drive a half hour back to their house to tell my dad that I knew. And I really wanted her to just tell him because I was terrified to tell my dad. My dad loves us deeply. He kind of, um, when I was, um, raised, he kind of, um, um, like if he got mad, he would slap his hand on the table or, you know, if my grades weren't good enough, I would get yelled at and, you know, things like that, um. But I was a daddy's girl, so I was afraid to tell him. So once I got the courage, uh, my mom drove me there and complete silence, and it was super awkward. I told my dad. My dad was sitting on one end of the table and my mom at the other, and I was standing in the hallway. And I told him, and he, he didn't say anything for what felt like forever, but it was probably like two minutes. He just sat there and didn't say anything, and I was just bawling, and my glasses were like, filling up with tears, you know, and like the stains on my, on my glasses. And I was trying to pretend like I wasn't crying to make them feel better. So I was trying to hide it, but he said, um, their name is not welcome in this house. His family's name is not welcome in this house. Um, I'm glad, you know, for medical reasons. And other than that, 
they're not welcome. Their name's not welcome in this home. Um, so I felt, I don't know, shame and guilt and like I had done something wrong. Mm. You really aren't allowed to feel your feelings, are you? No, <laughs> it's gotten better. I've been the one in the family that has done therapy and has come out and said I have depression and anxiety and um, opened up to my mom about it. And that was hard because my grandpa was a pastor. So her answer was, you you know, you should maybe talk to a pastor about it. And um, it's evolved now that a couple of my other sisters have come out and said they have depression because you know, I have broken that, that chain and allowed the conversation to kind of flow, um, which I guess is a, something good that came out of all of it. But, um, it's, it was, um, it was, it was hard to want to go meet him, my, my Mm -hmm. paternal, um, father, because of, you know, all of that shame and guilt that I felt. And anytime I tried to talk to my mom, they went a year and a half after I found out without asking me anything about it. They just swept it under the rug and like kept moving forward as my life was falling apart. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. That that sounds familiar because that's more comfortable for them if they don't have to talk about it. (laughs) Right. Yes. I know. And I eventually went to meet him. Um, my husband decided he didn't want to go with me because he didn't think that he couldn't um, hold himself back from punching him in the face. Yeah. And, um, I would, I wanted him to put those feelings aside to come with me, but he did not. Um, my sister went with me and another friend um, who knew about my journey went with me. And um, I went to um, Grand Marais, Minnesota, which is about 30 miles from the Canadian border um, in September of 2019. And, um, I had, um, one of his daughters, Brandy come to kind of help make it easier. Cause I had been talking to her on social media, sharing pictures of our kids and, you know, getting familiar with looks and stuff like that. And I remember, um, pulling up, And there's this beautiful red bridge that goes over Lake Superior. And it's a place I've been before, so I felt safe. Um, And he was sitting on this bridge. And I walked up and sat down across from him. And I don't even – it's like robot mode turns on, you know? Like you just act like um, how you feel you're supposed to act, in my case anyway. And he just stared at me. And I was, I was, it was a little bit uncomfortable because I didn't know what to say. And he's like, I cannot believe how much you look like me. And I, I don't even know what I said. I think I just did like a little laugh or something. And being a daddy's girl, that was hard for me to hear. Um, and then he just, you know, talked surface talk, you know, how are your, how's your daughter and what do you do? And, and then a couple times he said, um, I can't believe how much you look like me. And then I think he gave me a necklace that was, I think it was a scorpion or something. And it was definitely nothing that I would like. And I, you know, I, it felt weird to receive a gift from him because I didn't know how to feel. Like I didn't, I wasn't angry at the time, 
with him because I had such a good upbringing and I was grateful to have the dad that I did have. I don't know. It just feels like he was another person. And it was just a whole weird situation that I don't think I've, I've fully processed, but I have met up with him a couple times. Um, he goes from Minnesota, Minnesota to Arizona and will stop in Nebraska. I think maybe once a year I see him. And then I talk to his daughter, Brandy, quite often. Um, as soon as I saw her, I felt a connection to her in the way that she thought. I had never met um, anybody that thought the way that I did and the way that she saw the world and the bigger picture of the world. And it, it was a connection. Like I felt it there, not necessarily with my paternal um, paternal dad, but we keep in touch surface talk a lot, like, you know, the weather and how are the kids and stuff like that. And, um, I'm okay with that for now. And, um, down the road, the hard part for me, I think is, um, explaining it to my kids. I have a little bit, um, but it's hard for them to understand because they're two and five, you know, technically it's biologically their blood. And I want them to have the opportunity to decide if they want a relationship with them because I'm not going to repeat my parents' pattern um, and keep that from them. So, yeah, that's that's pretty much the gist of the story. Well, Brittany, if people wanted to get in touch with you, could they do that? Yes, I would. I would love that. Um, I am on all social media platforms at Healing Not Broken. Um, And then I can share with you my website for my cards. Um, Instagram and TikTok seem to be the the platforms where the healing community has grown the most. And if anybody wants to share their healing journey, I am so honored to be a part of that. I do healing retreats and I also have a Reiki studio that has come from all of this as well. So I do Reiki sessions to help people with their healing. That's why I feel so comfortable with you. It's like your <laughs> voice and your presence. So you, this is your world you're in now. That makes sense. Yeah. As soon, when we were talking earlier and you said you were wrapped in a blanket, ready to record, I was like, I like this energy here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aww. It was, um, that all came from, um, you know, working through my cards. And then I just kept falling into that depression. I kept dropping and dropping. I was like, okay, I need to do something different. And then like the Oracle cards, that random voice in my head was like Reiki. And I was like, what the heck is Reiki? So I Googled it and um, I tried to do an online course, didn't resonate, found, it a, uh, found a teacher in Omaha, Nebraska. And I loved her session. Um, after my first session, I signed up to be a teacher or to get my Reiki master's eventually. Um, and then somebody asked me if I wanted to put my studio and rent the space. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like divinely led. Like I did not seek any of this out. It just kind of happened. And it's, it kind of keeps happening the more that I serve others in their healing and honor my own healing. And then those doors kind of just keep on opening. And thank God, because <laughs> I needed a shift from that deep depression. So I'm honored to, to be a part of other people's healing journey. Well, that's just beautiful, Brittany. And thank you so much for sharing your story today. I really appreciate it. 
Yes, I'm, I'm grateful to have had the opportunity to get it out. These stories are here for us to identify with. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, email npestories at gmail.com. You do not have to give any identifying information. If you are an NPE and would like to share your story, I'd like to hear from you. Subscribe to this podcast to hear more. Come heal with us. Mm-hmm.